What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Double Move Sports. As always, I'm Steph, and I'm here with the man responsible for the Kansas City Chiefs' success. As a former employee of the organization, it is Alex. How are you doing, my guy? What is up? <laughs> Feeling great, Steph. Still eagerly awaiting my Super Bowl ring in the mail from the Super Bowl. Um, you know, I'm, I'm probably 50-50 on whether I'm going to get it or not, so we'll see. For uh, those of you that don't know, I interned for the Chiefs back in the day in 2015. Alex Smith was running the show. Jamal Charles was the hottest thing in town. Um, and Travis Kelsey was still a fan favorite. So a lot has changed. Some hasn't. Um, but, yeah, it was, it was a good time out there in Kansas City. And, um, you know, maybe if I don't get my ring this year, it'll come next year. We'll see. I, I think it was all you. I think it was all you. Well, you know, we just came off of a huge draft class last weekend. It was like 30% of the names taken. We're at the skill position, so tons to break down for fantasy. We're going to go through each one, and today we're going to focus on running backs, talking about each of the guys that were taken, their landing spots, their outlooks for fantasy, both in terms of redraft and dynasty. I'm really excited to get into it. Last year, we had a lot of names like Josh Jacobs, Miles Sanders, Devin Singletary, David Montgomery. The list goes on. Um, Alex, I'm pretty pumped. You, you got anything else to, to say here before we jump into it? Man, I'm hyped to hop in. <laughs> the The thing that worries me, though, before we get into it, I guess, is so many of these running backs look like they're going to start out in a committee type of situation. Um, so, it, I mean, it's tough right now. These are just kind of like our first instincts, our first reactions for this season and beyond. But I, I really think that a lot of these committees are going to turn into workhorse situations as some of these guys get acclimated. So a, a strong class, a lot of good talent in this class. Um, and I'm sure some of them are going to pan out. And then we're going to have a Rashad Penny or two in there as well. Ooh, shots already Yikes. fired. Well, you know, so we could look back on this come you know draft season, August, around that time and really see where we had these guys initially and how things might have changed. But let's hop into it here. We're going to go in order of where these names were taken in the draft. And we had one running back in the first round taken at by your Kansas City Chiefs at the 32 spot. It was Clyde Edwards-Hilaire out of LSU. Alex, give me your takes on him. I'm, I'm seeing a lot of hype for him. I'm on the hype train. I'll go ahead and preface that, but uh, let me know where you're at. Steph, I got a confession to make. <laughs> oh, no. I, I actually, on draft night... Um, went to bed before the selection and I woke up to a flurry of messages and um, Twitter just exploding about how perfect of a fit this was. I mean, I might have been dreaming in my room, but this was a fantasy football dream with Clyde Edwards Hilaire going to the Chiefs. I don't think he's necessarily the most talented running back in this class, but I think he's certainly the best fit for the Chiefs. Would you agree with that statement, Steph? I think I would. I mean, you look at the way he plays, like I think he fits the Andy Reid system really well. You know, if you comp Clyde Edwards Hilaire, a lot of guys were saying this, and, and I agree if you just look at their measurables. We look at Brian Westbrook uh, as a running back when Andy Reid was back in Philly. I think uh, Andy Reid was seeing some flashbacks uh, to Westbrook when he was looking at Clyde Edwards Hilaire's film. I know Damian Williams is there, so we think about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire from a fantasy perspective and even just a football perspective, how often is he going to be on the field? Damian Williams was kind of hit or miss last season. He had the really, really strong run in the playoffs, so I certainly don't think he's going to go away and just warm the bench. But I do think that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is going to take over, and he's going to take over early. I would almost say by the end of the season, we look at this as a workhorse situation. I think he probably starts out getting – 
you know, 50, 60% of the touches in this backfield at a minimum. And by the end of the season, I would not be surprised to see him getting 75, 80% of touches out of the backfield in Kansas City. So for me, Damian Williams, I'm not interested anymore. I, I, he was, you know, very effective last season. But the Chiefs, this was a luxury pick for them. They have almost everybody back next season. And they could go out in the first round and get the running back that they wanted. So it's great for the Chiefs. It's great for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. It's great for fantasy football uh, players everywhere because it's another elite running back thrown into the mix. Yeah, I think uh, CEH starts out in a, in a 1A, 1B situation and then quickly takes over as the you know definite one by the end of the year. If he's productive, I don't see why. Like If he's running at five yards a carry, even four and a half yards per carry, like, I don't see why they're not giving Hilaire the ball 200 times next season. And, right, like, if you if you think that he's going to be talented, then he's probably going to get the ball a ton. I don't think Andy Reid's going to – he's not, like, a guy who wants to have an RBBC like, like Doug Peterson uh, from the Eagles. Like, he wants to have that workhorse, and I, I think he found his guy. You know, if you have an indictment on – Hilaire's volume, I think that's an indictment on him as a player. So if you think he's going to be good, I think that he's going to get the volume based on his college tape and the fact that he was taken in the first round really is a surprise to a lot of people. All signs to me point to him being great. I don't think they're giving the ball to Williams too, too much if Hilaire is on point. His ability to cut lateral is just so distinct. Like we, we think of some of these backs with very distinct styles. Uh, Le'Veon Bell, right? We always think of him as the patient running style. He'll sit in that. I'm still patiently waiting for him to get a, a long run this like next season. He's, <laughs> what 19 yards was his long? We we said on the yeah. last podcast. So I think we're all still patiently waiting on Le'Veon, just like he's patient. <laughs> Certainly uh, on the Jets, but you look at Edward Solaire and his his running style is just so distinct. Like his lateral movements, when you watch him play, like you can just tell if it was just a silhouette of him with the ball, you would instantly know you know, that you're looking at Clyde Edwards Hilaire. And I think that's going to do a lot for him on the goal line. He has the chops to get it done through the air. I think there's going to be plenty to go around in both aspects, certainly on the goal line. Uh, And there's always been value in this Kansas City backfield. That's why we all love it as a landing spot. We look at last year, we had Damian Williams getting 111 111 carries. Uh, He was on pace for 176 before he got hurt. And then we had McCoy taking in about – same number of carries as well, 110. So we add those together, that's 220. Uh, we look back to 2018, Kareem Hunt had 181 before his uh, dispension, dis, uh, suspension or dismissal from the team. He was on pace for 263 attempts in 2018. 2017, when Kareem Hunt had a full season, he had 272 attempts. And even back in 2016, I know we're going really far back here, but Spencer Ware had 214 carries. So wow. the lead back in Kansas City is getting the volume. All of those numbers that I just threw out there are, you know, RB1, RB2 volumes. So I love it for for Hilaire. And I, I do believe in the talent. Damien Williams really doesn't scare me. Uh, he's Not never really all. been their workhorse. He's never no. been their workhorse. You know, last year was his best season by every metric. And he dealt with injury. He missed five games. To me, I just see him as a complimentary piece. Uh, they want to have him healthy for the playoffs. But... Yeah, I have him for something like 70 carries and some passing work, but I it's I think it's all going to go to CEH. Absolutely, Steph. And as if your case wasn't strong enough, let me read you running backs that went in the first round over the past five seasons. Starting back in 2015, we had Melvin Gordon and Todd Gurley. In 2016, we had Zeke. In 2017, we had Christian McCaffrey and Leonard Fournette. 
2018 was uh, Saquon Barkley, Rashad Penny, and Sony Michelle. Last season was Josh Jacobs, and now Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. So really the only one in that group that was a total bust was Rashad Penny. And if you actually average out their rookie season touch totals, they averaged 213 carries and 37 receptions in their rookie seasons. So, you know, the draft capital is there for the Chiefs. If history tells us anything, it's that if they spent that first round pick on Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, they are certainly going to use them. And you just laid out the history for the Chiefs and that they love using that feature back. So, Steph, I think all signs point to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire being locked and loaded as an RB1 um, in 2020. And he's a guy, even in Dynasty, I'd be thrilled to get him early and have him as my RB1 for years to come. You look at most of these running backs, like the names that I threw out earlier, going back to the couple, last few years, Andy Reid gives about 30% of the carry volume in terms of air targets. So I like that for him as well. Love Edward Solaire and PPR. Uh, either way, I have him right at the cusp, uh, bottom end of RB1 uh, as a Kansas City Chiefs running back should be in this era. So I'm with you there. I think we're in agreement. Nothing else to add. One more thing I thought of um, when you mentioned Andy Reid earlier. When I was back with the Chiefs in the summer of – 2015 into training camp um, that season. One distinct memory I have of Andy Reid is outside of the football field, the only times I ever saw him was A, in the cafeteria, and B, on a golf cart. So nothing to do with what we're talking about here, but, you know, like if you think that's probably how Andy Reid spends his time, you're 100% accurate. Now, was he in Hawaiian shirts in all of those appearances? Um, he was not, but he was, you know, I mean, it was obviously hot and humid, but the shorts and the cankles were, um, out <laughs> guns a blazing. Let's talk about another name that was taken only a few spots later at, at the 203 was DeAndre Swift. I had him as my top running back prospect prior to the draft and he goes to somewhat of a gross landing spot in the Detroit Lions. You know, what do you think, uh, outlook wise, we should be thinking here for Swift from a fantasy perspective this season uh, and a dynasty perspective long-term. This one's tricky because he was my top prospect going into the draft as well at the running back position. And it's truly a case of great talent in a bad fantasy situation. We talked about CEH and he's a great talent in a great situation. Swift, you only get one piece of the pie. So I look at him this season and he's one of those guys locked into a committee I think he's going to be potentially a, an RB2 this year, uh, maybe a low-end RB2. But the problem is Carrion Johnson is still there in Detroit. Yes, he's injury-prone, but no, we can't bank on Carrion Johnson uh, for 100% certainty getting hurt again this season. And Carrion's still young, and the Lions want to use him. They, they believe in his talent, and, and I truly believe that. Well, maybe I don't as much now that they went out and took Swift early in the second round, but they're certainly not going to – um, put on Johnson on the bench like we're expecting the Chiefs to do with Damian Williams. Um, so, you know, I think this is a timeshare. I think it slightly favors Swift on the season in terms of touches. Um, and it's just going to be interesting to see how this one plays out. I think Swift has RB1 upside if he gets the workhorse role. But even in Detroit, we have never seen a running back, at least in recent memory, uh, be incredibly successful with a workhorse role. So it's not a great situation as far as Detroit and what they like to do in the run game. And then obviously Carrion Johnson is there, like I mentioned. So for Swift, I think in Dynasty, he's a great pickup. He's not someone I want to rely on, especially early and often, to have to start um, weeks one through eight in the 2020 season. I think as the season goes on, he'll continue to get more and more touches and more and more involved. And certainly beyond 2020, I think he's got a bright future ahead. But for the 2020 redraft season, Carrion Johnson 
um, just casts too big of a shadow on DeAndre Swift's situation in Detroit. Yeah, the real question becomes how much do you really want the Lions RB1, uh, if you even think he will be the RB1, but, um, you know, it, it's tough. I mean, carry on, like you said, he can't stay healthy. He missed eight games in 2019, six in 2018, and really he kind of looked not like his former self last year. I mean, he, he only ran at 3.6 yards per attempt after 5.4 the year prior. Listen to this. The Lions haven't had a top 24 fantasy finish in PPR since Joyke Bell in 2014. No. <laughs> it, that's so gross. Joyke I hate Bell. saying that. That's a trip down memory lane right there. <laughs> He's one of those names that you bring up. It's like, you know, who are those guys that, that won you a championship in yep. fantasy that you never heard from again? Joyke Bell is always top of the list. You know, the only way I really see Swift getting to his ceiling, which I think is a high-end RB2, uh, as if they feed him through the air. And it's something that I think Swift can do, uh, but not so much really his sweet spot. I think the Lions roll with other more pure receiving backs. We've seen names like J.D. McKissick come in and get, you know, 50-plus targets, uh, yeah. even like Amir Abdullah, Theo Riddick. You know, those kind of guys are going to be in there taking some of that passing work away too. So I think that hurts. Uh, and McKissick had 42 targets last year, and Ty Johnson had 31. So, right, like there's 70 targets to the air that are probably going to go to the RB3 or 4 in that running back room. One thing I want to throw out there, and this kind of speaks to Detroit's rushing woes, is Football Outsiders has their O-line at 20th. Um, and Pro Football Focus actually had them at 11th last season, which was uh, blew my mind a little bit when I was going through their offensive line. But one of the big takeaways was they let Graham Glasgow walk in free agency. He signed with the Broncos. That was one of their best offensive line, and if not their best. They did draft two guards in the third and fourth round, but I just don't really like the situation for Swift, even if he gets the volume. So to me, if he falls in a draft, I'll take a flyer on him. Why not? We're always looking for running backs that can take over. You look at Carrion's probability to miss some time. I like that for Swift, but I mean, Vegas has Swift at the second highest odds to win offensive rookie of the year. What are your wow. thoughts on that? That's brutal. There's no chance. I don't know who's taking that bet. Um, but yeah, I know I'm with you. I think uh, you made a lot of good points about the theoretic type back. And something that's interesting about this pick is that J.D. McKissick is out of town. He signed with Washington. So I almost feel like the half the reason, not half the reason, but a piece of it has to be in the past. They've had their feature back, which might be a first and second down guy the scat back that's going to get the receiving work like the theoretics the jd mckissicks and then even like a goal line back or a guy to come in and spell um their feature back so they've really like used, Blunt. yeah a big committee in the past and part of this move to me is saying like hey instead of using three guys in a running back rotation let's try to use two guys and move forward and channel everything through swift and carry on johnson maybe that'll help carry on johnson stay healthy maybe that'll help um, Swift not run the tread off of his tires too soon. So for me, no, I'm with you. I think Swift is a low-end RB2. on Johnson, I think, is still an RB3. I certainly think there's going to be weeks where both of these guys are startable. Uh, it might just be a guessing game on picking which one's going to get the touchdown this week or which one's going to get five targets this week. And I just don't want to play that game every single week. You know, if we compare the situation to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, it's like if, if Hilaire is just taking over running really efficiently – I think all the carries go his way, whereas I don't see that necessarily being the case for Swift. And even if we look at, you know, we threw out some of like the goal line backs and different backs that Matt Patricia's had, like he was giving a large percentage of the, the carries to LeGarrette Blunt, even when Carrion oh, Johnson was, was so in bad. there fresh. Like Carrion Johnson so was fresh. 
it was a, it was it was his first year uh, in 2018 of running at four and a half yards per clip. So it's like you're still giving Legarrette Blunt all that volume. <laughs> it's just it's not a clear situation like that to me. So that's yeah, why I have I have Swift relatively far uh, down compared to some of these other names. Something else that's just really interesting, Steph. I, I'm doing a little bit of recon right now, and Carry On Johnson just in 2018 two seasons ago was drafted early in the second round so for me you know he's one year older than deandre swift so like i don't see them just kicking him to the curb right away because he had um one season where he wasn't quite as efficient and got hurt so they're i think they look at this as a young one-two punch and if they can both stay healthy they're going to have one of the best one-two punches in the league so unfortunately as fantasy owners that means neither of them is probably going to rise to that elite level that we think they can get to Maybe good for the Lions, but from a fantasy football perspective, you really hate to see it. <laughs> We're talking about another it. guy in a committee where we can really go either way is Jonathan Taylor, who was taken at the 209 spot in this draft. He's out of Wisconsin, and the Colts actually traded up for this pick. You can read into that, create your narratives if you want to, but you know, this is a tough one for me. I, I want to say Taylor is that next dominant workhorse running back, but... It kind of enters a crowded situation. We have Marlon Mack there with a year left. I believe Mack's like 24 years old, so still in a a very much a prime window. We have still Naheem Hines there, which a lot of people liked when they signed Rivers as a pass-catching scat back there. To me, Taylor will be in a 1A, 1B situation, but I do think he has that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire possibility to fully take over. Alex, do you agree? I as, do. Our, as our Colts fan, do you agree? Man, I was so hyped about this pick when it happened. I to, like I had what I wanted the Colts to do going into the draft, and it's like get your receiver, which they did. I'm excited about Pittman. It's get some inside linebacker help, which there weren't a ton of guys on the table, so I, I don't blame them for kicking that to the side and, and going out and getting some other positional help. Um, but when they drafted Jonathan Taylor, man, I was ecstatic because that's almost like a luxury pick for the Colts. Yeah, Marlon Mack has been good and he's been getting the job done. But Jonathan Taylor is just a step above Marlon Mack from an athleticism perspective, from um, just an elite running perspective. He can catch the ball. He's a He can do it on the goal line. Um, he can take your first and second down. He's the build of a true workhorse back in the NFL where Marlon Mack has a lot of strength, but he's not quite as well-rounded. And even his his um, top speed isn't quite there with Jonathan Taylor's. We saw him blaze that 4-3-9-40 at the Combine. And they both got the ability to power through guys and break tackles as well. So I was ecstatic to see the Jonathan Taylor pick. Um, I might be reaching on him in drafts this year because I'm with you. I think he has the potential to get to that RB1 level. But as long as Marlon Mack is there, I'm just not quite sure that, um, you know, the Colts are just going to get rid of Mack. I I know Chris Ballard came out and said, no, we're not going to trade him. No, we're not going to cut him. I still think there is a chance that by the time the season starts, Marlon Mack is either traded or cut. And if that happens, like Jonathan Taylor truthers are going to go wild. His ADP is going to skyrocket. Um, But I love Taylor. I think he's a great talent, but I think it's similar to the Lions situation. I actually have the Colts situation 
um, a little bit higher than I do the Lions just because they have that elite offensive line. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and they love to run the ball, and they run it well, and they historically have done it well over the past several seasons. So I like Taylor as a locked-in RB2 this year. If something happens to Mac or if Taylor really starts to take over, I think he could finish as an RB1. He's talented enough to do it. This Colts team is formulated in their scheme, um, fits that narrative as well. And then for Marlon Mack, I think he's in that carry-on Johnson territory where he's still going to get carries, maybe 10 to 12 a game. But his upside is capped. I think he's an RB3 at best. Jonathan Taylor, to me, is, is like seems like the Zeke you know, 2.0. Um, you know, if you think about, okay, if, if let's say in this draft it's you know, a few years ago and the Colts take Ezekiel Elliott, yeah, that's kind of how I see the situation here. And, and when I asked myself that, if they did take Zeke here with Mack and Hines there, where would I have him? So that's kind of how I'm trying to think about this move and kind of stat him out. We have Frank Reich coming out and saying with Jonathan Taylor into the mix, he envisions that it'll be a, a one-two punch between uh, Taylor yeah. and Mack. They see him as as potentially like a switch-up guy uh, that can take a 10-yard gain, make it a, a 50 or 60-yard gain. So I think there's belief in Taylor. He's going to have the opportunity. It's a great landing spot, like you mentioned, the O-line. So I think he'll have fantasy viability in redraft this year, uh, and definitely in Dynasty he does. Uh, but I'd rather see how things shake out a little bit first. I, I'd rather just be sad that I didn't grab Taylor this year and just take a guy that is a little bit more of a known commodity in redraft. Uh, but we'll see, man. Like, I, I really think in, in 2021 it's going to be nuts. Yeah, there's certainly some, some risk-reward. And a fun stat on Marlon Mack is that he had 14 receptions last year. So he's non-existent in the receiving game. And I know Naheem Hines is there, but – Naheem Hines is going to be on the field in obvious passing situations, but you think about all the other times um, on your standard drive, first, second, third down, that your feature back is on the field. I think Jonathan Taylor is going to get a lot of receiving work. I think with Phillip Rivers there, it's really going to open up a lot in the play-action game. Um, just having someone as explosive and dynamic as Jonathan Taylor in the backfield that can take, you know, bust off a 75-yard run to the house is really going to open things up for Phillip Rivers, which I think ultimately is just going to make this Colts offense that much better. And as a Colts fan, man, I'm excited. We were dull. Like last season, I would almost describe it as dull. We were boring. We were wholesome in a way where we were grinding <laughs> out games, running the ball, getting four and a half yards per carry, throwing the ball when we needed to, and playing good defense. And that's like all good but when you look at the Chiefs it's like hey let's send everybody deep and have some fun and I think the Colts this season are taking a step to that T.Y. Hilton's going to be healthy Jonathan Taylor is going to add a whole new element to this offense Phillip Rivers is there getting someone who can sling the ball and I'm super excited man as a Colts fan I love the Taylor pick to your point I think redraft I don't know how much how uh, many shares of Jonathan Taylor I'm going to have just because I think people are excited for him and there's going to be risk takers out there that know he can be an RB1, but um, for me, I would almost rather go with a, a certainty in those middle rounds. Think about like a Melvin Gordon or a Jonathan Taylor. Who would you rather have in redraft stuff? Oh, I think, man, wow. It's, I mean, between those two names, I actually like Taylor just for the more like explosiveness and upside, and I do yeah. like the, the Colts offense better, so I'd actually take Jonathan Taylor there. What about Mark Ingram or Jonathan Taylor? This one might actually be even easier. <laughs> yeah, I'm taking I'm I'm taking Mark Ingram there. Honestly, I, I really? love Baltimore situation. Yeah, I do. And, and wow. a lot of people don't remember that Ingram finished last season as the RB twelve. Like, I, yeah, I think he'll regress a little bit. Yes, he's a year older. Yes, he's coming off an injury. But I actually like Ingram a lot this year. We'll talk about 
uh, that that Ravens running back situation here in a second when we get to J.K. Dobbins. Absolutely. Yeah, we'll table it for now. I, I think I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum as you are uh, with Mark Ingram. So we'll get to that a little bit later. But let's go ahead and move on now um, to the next running back that was selected. It was Cam Akers out of Florida State. He went to the Los Angeles Rams with the 20th pick of the second round. You know, Todd Gurley's leaving a big void in L.A. Steph, what do you think about this Cam Akers pick? I love this pick. I'm, I'm very high on Akers. I think he's going to be fantastic. Likewise. He's not even 21 years old yet, making him one of the youngest running backs in the NFL. Dang. And I don't, I, don't, I don't even feel like he's getting hyped up enough. I feel like he should be at that uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire level. Uh, I don't know if people are just scared because – uh, McVay and, and Les Need came out and were saying that they want to run a committee this year. I think that's garbage. When you're gonna, you're going to see Acres be extremely explosive. He's fantastic in the receiving game. And if if the Rams continue like stick with that screen game like they had the last couple of years, maybe not so much in 2019, but in years prior, like with that screen game, I think that's where Acres fits in yep. really really nicely um, right away. You know, I'm regardless of workload split, I'm I'm penning Acres in for 60 targets probably somewhere between 45 to 50 reception. So that's a great PPR bump as well. And to me, Akers is the best back in that running back room. You know, both the other guys were taken, or both the other guys were around 3.8 yards per carry last year. And then you look at the draft capital, you know, Daryl Henderson, which a lot of people were high on last season for good reason. Uh, he was taken in the third round. Uh, Malcolm Brown, who's in that running back room, was an undrafted free agent. So just off of that draft capital alone, you've got to think the Rams are going to put that rubber to the road with Akers. I see him as a name you take in the fifth round if you need a running back and just take a shot on that upside. What's to say Akers isn't the next Todd Gurley? <laughs> I mean, that's that's certainly a hot take, but I, I, there's no reason he can't be at least as good as Todd Gurley was last season. Because um, right, Gurley, right, right. I mean, he, was, he wasn't good. He had 3.8 yards per carry, which... Um, it is certainly pretty rough. And I know the L.A. Rams offensive line has gotten a lot of heat, but I, I certainly don't think it's necessarily as bad as everyone is saying. And, and even if it was that bad in 2019, it will improve in 2020. Um, Todd Gurley vacates 223 carries from last season. So even if it is more of a committee-type approach with Malcolm Brown and Daryl Henderson, you've got to think Cam Akers is still going to be a lock for 175 carries and receiving work. And when I look at this draft – and I see guys like DeAndre Swift, like we just talked about, and Jonathan Taylor. And then later we're going to discuss J.K. Dobbins. All of those running backs, I think, are actually um, just as talented, if not more talented, than Cam Akers. But just because of the situation, I think Cam Akers has a ton of appeal in fantasy football redraft for 2020. Behind Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, I think Cam Akers would be my next pick for 2020 specifically at the running back position of this rookie class. Just because the opportunity alone... Um, is so grand that Cam Akers could easily step into a role where he's getting 250 touches this season, which in fantasy we talk about. It. It's all about talent and opportunity. He has both. This Rams team just two years ago was in the Super Bowl and one of the best offenses in the NFL. Last year, I know they struggled, but if they can even find somewhere in the middle, Cam Akers could easily finish as a top 10 running back. I think the upside is huge with Akers. And then because of the volume alone, I think he's still pretty safe. So if he's my running back two, I'm feeling great. Um, and if he's my running back one and I've got strong receivers, I'm still feeling pretty solid just because he's going to get the ball and he's going to get the touches. Yeah, this may be a hot take, but I, I am very much with you that behind Edward Teller, Akers is the highest upside out of the, all the names in this draft. The risk for me just comes from the floor. you know. So that that's yeah. where I feel a little bit uneasy. Just 
we'll see as things progress through the season. I would love for whether it's beat reporters to come out as we get closer to the season, or if you know McVeigh comes out and says Acres is going to be our lead back. That to me, I'm pulling the trigger right away. That's all I need to see. Uh, I, I I'm all in on Acres, man. He ran at five yards per carry and one of the worst behind one of the worst offensive lines in a Power Five college football conference and like when you watch him play like the creativity when he's already getting hit behind the line of scrimmage to then still run at five yards per carry like that's just huge to me so regardless of the offensive line I think there's still production to be had one more thing to think about too this was the Rams first selection in this draft and after a season last year where they missed the playoffs you've got to think they're going to go out and address their biggest need first and they spent their first um, pick of their draft capital on the running back position so Kind of like we talked about with Clyde Edwards-Hilaire having that first-round draft capital. No, Akers didn't go in the first round, but for the Rams, this was the first pick they had in this draft. So if they took him there, they're going to use him, and they're going to use him a lot. I think he's a talented guy. He Back to another uh, place I interned back in the day. I interned with the Louisville football uh, recruiting department, and it was actually when Akers was um, coming into college. So we were recruiting Akers, and I remember watching his tape and all of the coaches just raving about this kid and how he could do it all. He had power, but he had speed. Um, he could he could catch the ball really well, and that didn't change in college. Everything um, improved for him, even on a horrific offensive line situation. I know there's a ton of narratives on that Florida State offensive line um, on social media and things, but Cam Akers, he's a great player. Um, he's been up against good competition, and he's been under the spotlight for – his whole career, at least back to high school. So I think he's going to step in and he's going to do really well in LA. I'm with you, man. I think we give acres, the double move sports stamp of approval. We'll see stamp once it. we stamp it down, man. When, when we both agree, that's when we throw the stamps down for those of you who don't know uh, guys real <laughs> quickly here, before we get into the next name, if you're liking what you're he- hearing here on the show, please like subscribe, share it with your friends that are into fantasy Uh, All of that really helps us, and we're putting the work in. Follow us on social media. We're on there every single day engaging with you guys, posting clips, graphics, asking for your rankings, trying to get a feel. You know, one of the polls I put out there was looking at some of the volume for these names, and whether you you have a strong opinion or not, it's really cool to see what the rest of the community is saying. So hit us up there. The next pick, going through the second round, was a name that I thought was an absolute steal with J.K. Dobbins falling to the Ravens. Uh, J.K. Dobbins out of Ohio State. And I I believe in uh, Dobbins, especially in this offense that was far and away the top rushing team. Uh, You know, when we're including Lamar Jackson's numbers in there. Uh, To me, Dobbins, though, is going to be like a a Devin Singletary type of situation this year. He's going to have huge breakout potential in 2021. But it's another situation where it's a crowded running back room. We have Ingram. Uh, Gus Edwards is still there, and I'm pretty sure Justice Hill is still there. You can correct me if I'm wrong. You're correct. Um, so Ingram was there, and he, he had a great season last year, 13.5 attempts per game, 5 yards per attempt, uh, 29 targets. Gus Edwards was actually seeing 8.3 attempts per game, which was pretty surprising to me. I didn't think he had that much volume, and had 5.3 yards per attempt. So the efficiency is there. The question is, is Dobbins going to see that volume? I'm curious to hear what you think, Alex. Oh, man, this one's tough because I think mm, it's going to be just just about as close as you can get to a 50-50 split. I'm out on Ingram this year. 
I actually have, I would rather have DeAndre Swift than Mark Ingram. I would rather have David Montgomery than Mark Ingram. Quote me on that one, Steph. Wow. Um, Hot (laughs) takes here. Hot takes here, but it's tough. This Baltimore Ravens offense has plenty of carries to go around. They ran it almost 600 times last season. They were at 596. But with Ingram and Dobbins, I I do think that Gus Edwards is going to get phased out. Edwards had 133 carries last season and 711 yards, which is, you know, actually pretty solid. People don't realize Gus Edwards, the Gus Bus himself, had over 700 rushing yards. So super impressive. But Unfortunately for Gus, I think he finds that third spot on the depth chart, maybe fourth, because Justice Hill will get some receiving work. Um, So I think a lot of that volume that Gus Edwards saw last year is going to go straight to J.K. Dobbins. Um, I think Dobbins throughout the season is going to continue to get ramped up. I think that's something we see often in rookies. Think about just just last year. You had Devin Singletary and Miles Sanders, both super talented guys. Um, And by the end of the season, they were – um, featured in in their respective offenses, so I think that's going to be a similar situation um, here in Baltimore with Dobbins, and I actually have both Dobbins and Ingram as lower end RB twos. It's tough because with a lot of these other situations, we've talked about it. It's going to be a timeshare. Both guys are going to have weeks where they're effective, but it's just going to be really hard to play that guessing game on which guy's going to get the touchdown that week or which guy's going to get the um, the five targets. And in this offense, I certainly think Dobbins will be more featured in the receiving game than Mark Ingram. But I think Mark Ingram is going to finish the season with more touchdowns than J.K. Dobbins. So because of that, I think both of them are going to cannibalize each other a bit. I I honestly don't think the Ravens are going to run the ball 596 times again either. And Lamar Jackson is surely going to get his share of carries. So just because they're not going to blow teams out by 40 points a game and sit their starters in the fourth quarter, I think there's actually going to be a higher split of passing volume versus rushing volume for the Ravens still will be plenty to go around but I don't know that we're going to see you know both Mark Ingram and Lamar Jackson run for over a thousand yards while J.K. Dobbins is still able to get 750 800 yards I just don't think that's realistic for next year Steph some hot takes baked in here some hate on Mark Ingram but tell me where you think I'm wrong no I I mean I agree with a lot of it I think you know Mark Ingram having a down season is in the range of outcomes and and Dobbins could take over if, if he shows a lot of promise early but I mean, we know every piece in this rushing offense is going to be efficient. They're going to have the upside. You can potentially plug them in every given Sunday, but I'm just not ready to crown Dobbins as that top name, even at 150 attempts. I I just, I love his potential, but I don't see him moving into a, a clear one or even a one a spot. Like some of the other names we've talked about to me is a, he's a handcuff uh, in redraft. He's a dynasty stash. Certainly for, for 2021 yep. love Dobbins. You know, really, it's, it, the question is, is he going to be Ingram's successor or is he going to be, you know, another guy in that stable, another type of Gus Edwards, Justice Hill that helps the team, but isn't necessarily the guy you want in fantasy. So uh, 2021, I love him. But for, for this year, I'd rather take any of the names that we've talked about so far. Yeah, no, that that's a great point. I think this could be the season that's kind of the changing of the guard where we see J.K. Dobbins get ramped up. Maybe it is close to that 50-50 split. And then Ingram will be just another year older in 2021. So maybe that's where Dobbins starts to take more of that workhorse role. I sounded like I hated on the pick a little bit there, but I actually love this move for Baltimore. They're a team that wants to run the ball and run the ball and run the ball. So they went out and got a super talented running back that fell right into their lap in the draft. So I love the move for Baltimore for fantasy football, though. I'm staying away from Ingram um, this season for sure. And then Dobbins, I might get a couple shares just in case, you know, something happens to Ingram as that handcuff. And in Dynasty, I do love him. If he's my RB3, 
and I don't have to start him every week in Dynasty, and I can stash him and hold him for next season. That's a that's a great situation in, in my eyes. Yeah, Ingram has a potential out in his contract in 2021. Uh, if they do keep him on the Ravens, they're paying him $5 million, uh, base salary that year. So I think it's very, very likely that they're setting Dobbins up to be fantastic uh, later on. Just don't really like it this season for all the reasons we've thrown out there. Let's move on to A.J. Dillon, who was taken at the back of the second round and a pick that stunned a this lot of wild. people. <laughs> I know Packers, Packers nation, nation is absolutely just like floored right now and they're pissed uh and and i think for good reason you know the last time the packers uh took a running back as high as the second round was eddie lacy back in 2014 uh we have aaron jones and jamal williams becoming free agents next offseason so there's certainly you know long-term dynasty potential in dylan but alex what are your takes on this situation i think it kind of hurts all those running backs there the only pick that might have been more head-scratching than this one was the Jordan Love pick. So, <laughs> Packers fans, I'm sorry. We're with you. You're in our thoughts. But, oh, my gosh, this is tough. A.J. Dillon, first let's talk about him. I think A.J. Dillon's a great player. He is what you call a bruiser. Six foot, 247 <laughs> at the running back position. And as a Louisville grad and a Louisville football fan, I am still scarred. Steph, I don't know if you remember, but A.J. Dillon ran for 272 yards and four touchdowns against Louisville in 2017. Um, I remember it to this day, and here we are. A.J. Dillon's a Green Bay Packer. So, again, the pick didn't make any sense to me. They have Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. Um, One thing that's interesting, though, is that both Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams are in contract years. So maybe they're planning to let one or both of those both of those guys go Jamal Williams I've seen some rumors as a cut candidate so if it was just Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon um, maybe that makes a little bit more sense for the Packers but I'm certainly not interested in AJ Dillon for 2020 he's just a a stash at this point he's a handcuff um, and a dynasty stash but for Aaron Jones I think this really takes away a touchdown or two from him Aaron Jones tied for the league lead last season in rushing touchdowns with 16 and I have him at considerably less touchdowns this season. I have him around eight. And because A.J. Dillon is such a bruiser and they spent a second rounder on him, I could easily see him getting three, four, five touchdowns. And as an Aaron Jones owner in fantasy football, if that's the case, you are just going to be clawing your eyes out and, and you are going to hate A.J. Dillon. Um, so I, I see that vulture situation happening on the goal line in short yardage situations, uh, which which really does dampen my expectations for Aaron Jones. Um, But yeah, I'd take a shot on Dylan and Dynasty, and I still like Aaron Jones just fine. I think he's an RB1 um, consideration this season, but definitely a head-scratcher. Yeah, if we look at, uh, you know, I call LaFleur baby Shanahan. So if we look at Shanahan, right, his his mentor in San Francisco, we look at it last year. (laughs) It all makes sense now. Well... (laughs) Well, you look at San Francisco's running backs. Uh, they were second in the NFL in rushing, but had zero 1,000-yard rushers. So mm-hmm. I see that being the case here where probably none of the three running backs that we're throwing out there in this this Packers RB room are going to hit 1,000. Um, yeah, Dylan could be a touchdown vulture. I really yeah. look at him like a, an Eddie Lacy comp. Like I, I think he's pretty, you know, just pure bruiser uh, who can will have his moments inevitably, but – um, no, I'm with you 100%. I, I, there's not really much that I have to add. 
I think Jamal Williams is done fantasy wise. Yeah, he was actually Steph. okay as a flex last year at he certain was. times. He he was great in the receiving game. And Steph, who do you think the handcuff to own is in Green Bay? It's got to be Dylan, right? For me, I think it is Dylan. Um, just because you know Williams is, we think of it as more of a third down back, even though he's he can still take it on first and second down mm-hmm. as well. Um, it's true. You know, if if we believe that the matchup is going to be high scoring for the Packers, I'd probably go Dylan, right? Because I want him to to get that goal line work. I want to have those scoring opportunities more than I maybe want, you know, five checkdowns from Rodgers going to Jamal Williams. Yeah, no, I agree with you there. It's frustrating because the last two seasons, there's the whole like free Aaron Jones trend going around. Like, let this guy run, let him be the workhorse back in Green Bay and Last year, we started to see it some games. He was a bit inconsistent. And then now they just bring in another running back in the second round. So that you've got your receiving back, you've got your goal line back, and then you've got Aaron Jones. So it's just going to be more dilution of the carries and the touches there in Green Bay. So let's talk about another name taken in the third round, one that is in another crowded situation, just like Dylan. It's Antonio Gibson. He was kind of a running back wide receiver hybrid coming out of Memphis. Uh, he was taken at the 302 spot by the Washington Redskins. Is this a name that you're looking for in any drafts? No, he's probably not on my fantasy radar this season. It was it, It's funny because he is a running back wide receiver hybrid. I remember I was watching the draft and, and they called his name and Goodell actually announced him as one position and the graphic on the screen had him at, at another position. And then his highlight tape, you're like, is this guy a receiver? Is he a running back? It was going back and forth. So he's a Corderell Patterson type player. Um, I don't see immediate fantasy value for him in Washington, but I certainly like the pick for the Redskins. They're depleted on the offensive side of the ball. They Their running back situation is actually really tough. It's Adrian Peterson, Peyton Barber, Darius Geis. So I could see this guy getting thrown in the mix as a utility player and maybe making some plays. They need any kind of dynamic players they can get. At the receiver spot, they've got McLaurin, who who obviously we've talked about before is a, is a total gem, and we think um, he he's an incredibly talented guy. But then behind that, they've got Steven Sims and Kelvin Harmon, who were both rookies last season. So I think Gibson gets in the mix, and and there's going to be times on Sundays this year where you're you're following your game cast or you're on red zone or whatever, and you're just like Antonio Gibson, 84 yard touchdown run. And you're just like, who the crap is this guy? And then you're like, oh yeah, he's that guy out of Memphis. So. Um, I'm not really interested in anyone in that backfield. None of the guys I just mentioned, AP, Peyton, Barber, Geis, not touching them with a 10-foot pole, probably not touching Gibson and Fantasy until further notice. But I actually like it for Haskins. Anything that he can do to like have a nice, short, easy completion and someone else can do the work to take it to the house, it's better for the Redskins. So uh, maybe in Dynasty it makes Haskins a little bit more interesting. Maybe he has some stream ability in 2020. Um, but But Gibson himself – Unfortunately, probably not super interested this year. Best case scenario I see for Gibson is him taking over that Chris Thompson role. That's that's really you know we talked yeah, about his wide receiver chops. That would be a great like, situation for him. Yep. Yeah, I think that's that's like literally his absolute maximum peak that he could ever be at, and I think that's a stretch <laughs> to even put him there. Uh, yeah. Maybe you keep an eye on him if he's in waivers and redraft. I really sure. want to hear Mike Lou, good friend of the show, at Mike Me Up P on Twitter. He loves Gibson. He calls this guy, he gives him the nickname Da God, and I'm really curious why. Like, I, I want, Mike, if you're listening to this, I really want an explanation. Maybe we'll go through it next time <laughs> you're on the show here. Uh, but I'd love to understand that a little bit better. I'd love to hear it. Maybe he believes in that Chris Thompson role, that pass catching role there uh, in Washington, but. I'm not I'm not high on, on Gibson a ton. Hey, Chris Thompson certainly has showed some upside. Maybe not this past season, but 
there were weeks there, the, the, the previous seasons before that, where Chris Thompson, you plug him in as your RB2 and you're set because you know you're getting eight catches for 80 yards as a baseline. So I love that comp, and he looks like a dynamic player. So I'm excited to watch him play, but from a fantasy perspective, I just am not sure how he's going to get plugged in right away. So we won't spend much more time on Gibson, Steph. Let's go ahead and move on to another guy drafted in the third round. He was the 12th pick of the third round out of Vanderbilt, Keyshawn Vaughn to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And this one is interesting. I, I've seen a lot of love for Vaughn in redraft. Tampa Bay, they lost Peyton Barber um, out of that backfield. Ronald Jones and Dare Agumbawale are really the last men standing there. Steph, do you think Vaughn is going to have some fantasy impact in 2020? Vaughn in, in 2020 to me is the epitome of a rookie boom bust. He could be the wide receiver. Mm. I'm sorry. He could be the running back one in a high-powered offense, or he could be a third down back that never sees the end zone. So, like, to me, the appeal for Vaughn probably isn't going to be his volume. Uh, it's probably going to be the passing game appeal. We all know Tom Brady is the check down Charlie King himself. So maybe there's some some passing game work. I know you mentioned Agumba Wale. He's kind of their third down back last season. Uh, I could see Vaughn just taking over that role completely. Uh, one interesting stat here I found from uh, actually FanDuel's website is they said there, there have been 11 instances of a New England Patriots running back catching 30-plus passes in a season over the last 10 years, including eight what? with 40-plus and five with 50-plus. So you got to think like— 11 running backs in the last 10 years? Not a big math guy, but that's— Yes, yes. Wow. So, wow. like, Brady, we all, we all know the kind of player Brady is. We have 20 years of sample size, and we know he's going to take what the defense gives him. So I could see Vaughn being like a, a James White type of guy that's really valuable in PPR. Um, but I don't know. This is a really tough one for me. I will be keeping my ears uh, to that Buccaneers uh, you know, news reports to see really where he is. I think his absolute ceiling for me is 150 carries. Uh, we'll see. How do you think this impacts Ronald Jones? That's really where I'm torn because I was very yeah, high on Jones. It's tough. We've both been pretty bullish on Ronald Jones. And round one goes by round two goes by we're getting into round three and i'm like oh boy the bucks still haven't taken a running back every single pick that goes by ronald jones stock is going up and then right at the 11th hour they come in and pick vaughn and i'm just like dang here we go um so i I still think ronald jones is going to be fine certainly some of that upside i thought was there because of that receiving work (laughs) that was going to come with brady uh, is going to be gone but a similar situation to detroit um should happen in Tampa Bay in the sense that Detroit historically has used several different backs, maybe even three or four. Tampa Bay last season used Barber, Ronald Jones, and Daria Gumbawale. And I think they actually, just like Detroit, we expect them to consolidate that down to two guys to carry on um, and DeAndre Swift. I think Tampa Bay consolidates that Daria Gumbawale work. Maybe he just does special teams. And I think it's going to be the Rojo and the Vaughn show. Um, an interesting note on Vaughn, too. I read that he, in one of his scouting reports, um, actually by ESPN, is that he's a really good pass protector. And when you think about who's the quarterback there in Tampa Bay, they're going to want someone at the running back spot who can protect the passer. So maybe that earns him snaps early on. I remember a game last season where Ronald Jones was actually playing great, and he had, he missed uh, protection pickup and got benched for the rest of the game. So Bruce Arians isn't messing around. And if he was that concerned about Jameis Winston, he's going to be – hella concerned about Tom Brady um, in that backfield. So I think Vaughn and Rojo are just going to split it. Um, Vaughn is going to be that receiving back. Rojo should get most of the goal line work and should get most of the carries. But I have them both right there. Low end RB2, high end RB3, both have upside if something happens to the other. 
And the question I'm going to put back on you, Steph, half PPR 2020. Right now, who do you think scores more points, Ronald Jones or Keyshawn Vaughn? I'm taking the known in Jones there. Uh, just And just yeah. because we saw him really improve as the season went on last year. Like, for me, Vaughn could go one of two ways, and they're both strong on both sides. Like, he could be, like, the next – Dante Foreman or Royce Freeman that just kind of becomes irrelevant in a few Yikes. years or he's the next Joe Mixon like <laughs> there's two ends of the spectrum for me because he does have the skill set to really do it all he's pretty pretty well rounded so yeah absolutely it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out <laughs> just like a lot of these backfields and if we decided to do this this same show closer to the football season I'm sure a lot of our takes would be a little bit different I'm sure through camp uh, we'll hear a lot from beat reporters on what's going on, what are the coaches saying, how are guys picking things up, how are they learning the offense, things like that. So certainly we'll, certainly there will be more to come on all of these rookies. But Steph, a couple last guys I want to jump into. We don't have to spend a lot of time on either of them. The first is Zach Moss uh, out of Utah who got drafted to the Buffalo Bills at the 22nd pick of the third round. The other is Darrington Evans, who went to the Titans at the 29th pick in the third round. Steph, what do you think of these guys? Moss, Evans, do either of them have any fantasy impact in 2020? And what do you think about Devin Singletary there in Buffalo and Derrick Henry in Tennessee um, with these two rookies in town? Yeah, I don't have a ton to say about Darrington Evans. Uh, I watched some of his tape once he was drafted. He really wasn't a name that that – it was kind of rolling around in my head prior to the draft. So I went back and just see like, you know, what's this guy's story? Um, he, he actually looks pretty smooth. And I like him as just kind of that, that Dion Lewis. Maybe if you're the Derrick Henry owner, you grab Evans uh, late in redraft. Yeah. Um, but Zach Moss, man, I actually have a lot to say about Zach Moss. He was great in college. He saw a ton of usage. But he's just going to be one of those guys that's tough to project. You're taking a boom bust shot on him in redraft. I'm of the mindset where I want to stay away from Zach Moss right now in Dynasty until I see more from him next season. And if I start to see some of the potential shining through, we see a few glimpses, I'd be willing to make a move for him. Um, if you look at Pro Football Focus, they love Zach Moss. They had him as the top prospect out of all the incoming uh, draft classes at the running back position between 2020 and 2017. Like Zach Moss was, wow. uh, I had I got a fantastic grade from PFF. I look at his film, though, and I, I see another Devin Singletary. They're very similar in a lot of ways. I don't think it's going to be a thunder and lightning situation. I don't think one of them is going to be relegated to a third down back. I actually think what the Bills are going for is as opposed to, right, oh, here comes Frank Gore. We know they're going to run it up the middle. It's a, you know, second and two. We know exactly what they're going to do. I think they want to add a little bit more ambiguity to their game plan so teams can't stop them in the power run game. I actually think this hurts Singletary. I think Moss will get usage and I actually think he'll be great for the Bills uh, but not really a guy I'm looking at in fantasy it'll be a 60-40 split right now I think your best hope is that the Bills are fantastic next year and both of them are valuable I'm, w I'm with you there to an extent I, I think Moss actually does complement Singletary from a skill set perspective a little bit better um, than you outlined, and maybe we're splitting hairs here, but Moss is 5'9", 223, so he is a stocky guy. Uh, he certainly has more power than Singletary, and I, I expect yeah. him to assume a lot of that Frank Gore role. Gore had 166 carries last season, so there should be plenty of volume for both of these guys in this offense. And, and Moss, I do expect to get the goal line work. I expect him um, to see a fair amount of carries, but he does have good hands, and like you said, he, he is much more – 
um, of the Singletary mold than Frank Gore was, certainly. And they are much more similar than they had with the Thunder and Lightning situation last year. Um, but, but yeah, I, I think Moss definitely has some fantasy appeal in 2020. I see it as a more of a 65-35 split to start out, and maybe it gets a little bit closer to a 60-40, a 55-45 as we go. Um, I don't think it, it really affects Singletary that much. We saw Singletary come on really strong last season and be incredibly efficient, and that's why he was getting ramped up as a rookie. So Singletary is a really strong RB2 for me. Um, he's he's going to get most of the receiving work, and his touchdown uh, numbers should go up from last season. So I like both of these guys to an extent. I think if you snag Singletary, you can slide him into an RB2 spot. But if you want to wait on Moss and have him as your RB3 or maybe even your RB4, uh, he certainly could pan out as the season goes on. Yeah, and I didn't want to take anything away from from Moss being more that you know bruiser-style guy. I think we're where you want Singletary in you know open field, you want Moss just one-on-one, you know, shoulder down, truck stick, a defender. So yes, For their sure. skill sets are a little different there, but both of them have the receiving work and there really wasn't a ton of running back receiving work even to begin with. So um, we'll have to monitor this one as we get closer to the season. I know it's tough right now when there's a lot of startups going on, uh, you know, in rookie drafts. So if you maybe you uh, are a guy that doesn't believe in Singletary um, or you really believe in the Bills, then go and grab Moss uh, and plug him in there. Um, but not one I'm super high on this year. Yeah, I certainly think the plan with Buffalo is for both of these young guys to be um, kind of the the one-two punch for years to come. We talked about a lot of teams in this draft that are gonna that are gonna have committee situations. The Lions were one with two young guys in DeAndre Swift and Carryon Johnson. Now we have the Bills who just took Singletary in the third round last season. Now Moss in the third round this season. I think their plan is just to have two really strong running backs that can complement each other well and have them develop with Josh Allen in this offense. So I think their plan is to roll this out as a committee for years to come. I think they like the talent and the skill set of both. Uh, and I certainly think both will have some sort of fantasy relevance in 2020. Who knows? I, I, I really like the Bills next year, actually. When I look They're at their sneaky. offense, they are sneaky. They're, sneaky. They're stacked, and now the Patriots take a bump down, so maybe they get some confidence if they're leading the AFC East. So I, I love it for the Bills. I'm pretty hyped uh, for the Mafia right now. Steph, one last guy I want to talk about. He's one of my sleeper picks. I know he wasn't in our notes, but it's one running back that was taken outside of the first three rounds in the draft this season that I think could have some sneaky relevance in 2020, and it's Joshua Kelly uh, for Ooh. the Los Angeles Chargers out of UCLA. I think Kelly could have some serious value as a handcuff to Austin Eckler. He was at the sixth pick in the fourth round, so he, he almost snuck into that first three rounds that we normally look at for um, draft capital and value as a rookie, but he's a bigger downhill runner, and he really could get some touches at the goal line this year. I look at that Chargers team, and Eckler can certainly get it done on the goal line, and I know they still like Justin Jackson, but Joshua Kelly, I don't think they take a running back in round four unless they think they really need help in that running back room. So as a short yardage back, I mean, he's not going to have much value beyond being a handcuff. But I think if something was to happen um, to Austin Eckler, I don't think it's going to be Justin Jackson getting the work. I think it's going to be Joshua Kelly. So as the season goes on, I think we're going to see this guy score some touchdowns and vulture some touchdowns in that L.A. Chargers offense. 
And as a handcuff, he's someone that has a high upside if you ever got that workhorse role. So Joshua Kelly just had to throw it out there, had to throw out a hot take here right at the end of the pod. Just in case it happens, I can go back to this pod and say I, I said so. And if it doesn't, like, this never happened. This is not all right. <laughs> Well, you know, we talked about, right, like we're only talking about running backs in the first three rounds. There's other names you can throw out there. There are some really sneaky names that I like. DJ Dallas is one in Seattle. Um, even the the Eagles drafted a running back who may get more work than we want him to as fantasy fans. Uh, but past the third round, you see a big drop off just historically looking over the last, you know, eight to ten years here. Uh, on average, so let's kind of go carries uh, through the first rounds. On average, a first round running back is getting 240 carries. Uh, on average, a second-round running back is getting 146 carries. A third-round running back is getting 104 carries. And then fourth round, it's 71 carries. So there's some big drop-off there. You don't, you don't want a running back in fantasy that's only getting 71 carries, and you really don't want a guy that's only getting 100 um, if you're going to be plugging him in every single week. So yeah, just keep that in mind. Like Maybe there's some deeper names. We think of some guys that blew up that were drafted outside of those first three rounds. Uh, I believe Kareem Hunt was one of those. Uh, so, you know, maybe there is some, some value, but I think those are all the names that we needed to touch on. Alex, I know there's one more backfield that we want to break down here. I know there wasn't really a drafted name there, but a move that was made during the draft was the Niners' Matt Breda moving over to the Miami Dolphins. So now <laughs> we have another committee, right? Jordan Howard, Matt Breda. Oh, here we go. Who's taking yep. over? Who, who do you see as the clear RB1 in Miami? Yeah, just to clarify your previous point on Hunt, he was in 2017, round three, pick 86 overall, but certainly a star in the making uh, early in his career. Uh, I remember his first game, he went for like 35 fantasy points. So certainly I think some of these guys in the third round are going to have some tremendous value. But back to Miami, man, I was getting excited, kind of, you know, sitting on Jordan Howard thinking, man, like I don't know how valuable the Miami Dolphins primary running back is going to be but then you look at some of the other situations in the league some of the other guys getting drafted into committee situations and you're like okay Jordan Howard he's still there on his own he's still there on his own and you get to round five and you're like he's still there on his own and then you start to get interested you're like huh I might draft Jordan Howard I might you know maybe he's sneaky and here we go Matt Breida traded to the Dolphins I expect this to be just about as close to 50-50 as it gets Breida should get most of the receiving work Jordan Howard should get most of the goal line work. I think they're both right there in running back three territory. Um, the crazy thing, though, about this backfield is both guys are only 25 years old. And even as early as last season, they showed they can still get it done. Brito was seventh in yards per carry last year with the San Francisco 49ers. I really don't think he's going to be that high this year. He's going to see what a real offensive line is like uh, and what all these other running backs in the league are dealing with uh, in Miami. And Jordan Howard last year. He was actually RB15 in half PPR through his first nine games. After that, he went out with injury. But as long as he played last season, he was RB15 in half PPR. So both of these guys certainly have juice. I think they're both going to help that offense. I think they're going to be not quite as fantasy relevant as we want them to be. They're certainly going to be better than Patrick Laird. And it's disgusting how much attention Patrick Laird got at the end of last season as like a sneaky stream or a sneaky starter. So the fact that, you know, Laird was a starter, I think Brita and Howard are going to be very fantasy relevant next season. Um, RB2 at best, mid RB2 at best um, for Jordan Howard, just because of the touchdown upside. 
but yeah, I, I'm probably staying away. I wouldn't mind having him as my RB3 or RB4, either of these guys. If I can snag Brita or Howard Lay, just someone to play during bye weeks if something happens to one or the other, it's, it's going to skyrocket the value um, of the last man standing. But, you know, not super interested, but certainly happy with either as a plug-and-play type of player. Steph, am I far off there? Are you higher on one... Uh, than the other I really can't decide like I think I'd probably lean Howard but you know I think they're close yeah I like Howard I'm I've been a Howard truther since he came in the league after after his rookie season I was all in on the guy I'm still waiting for him to get back there uh, just because he's been in some you know split you know, committee situations the rest of his career after that and and had kind of a down year uh, ending his tenure in in Chicago but I, I like the Howard side um, not to say Breda's bad by any means like I, I think he'd be fantastic I actually think he could be really really efficient he could be a great change of pace back he can can catch the ball out of backfield um this is one that's like if you're just taking shots on names you know, like last year right if you took some of these you know this kind of approach and you just grabbed a few names you might have gotten Devin Singletary you might have gotten yep. um you know you might have gotten Austin Eckler you might have gotten Philip Lindsay so some of these names here you know I don't mind taking a shot on because right we covet these running back ones or or even these running back twos especially in deeper leagues 14 teen leagues where you're not touching a running back off waivers uh so you know there I I, I don't mind taking a shot on redraft on either of those names I do lean to the Howard side. One thing I wanted to mention, we could talk about some uh, later running backs that were taken. Some of the names I want to throw out here that were guys that were taken in the fifth round or later or uh, undrafted. Arian Foster, LeGarrette Blunt, Danny Woodhead. Uh, Austin Eckler was actually an undrafted free agent as well. So wow. there's some interesting names that, you know, oh, uh, Philip Lindsay was one too. So yeah, There's Philip still, Lindsay's one you know, that in his rookie season as an undrafted rookie ran for over a thousand yards. Incredibly impressive. Right. So that's you know, we're gonna focus on the first three here, but this is not the end all be all. So there'll be plenty more to break down as we go through the season. I thought that was a fantastic episode that we just put together. I'm hyped for all these names, man. I can't wait for the season. I can't wait for these startups man. that are about to kick off here. I can smell it. You can smell it, you can feel it. I don't know if you can taste it yet, I but we're it. close. Uh, <laughs> anything else to say, Alex, here before we sign off? Uh, let's see. I want to give a couple shout outs to Roger Goodell himself. First things first, he's taking a pay cut to $0. So uh, maybe he felt some pressure to do that, but ultimately it's the right thing to do given the situation right now. So shout out to Goodell for that move. Shout out to Goodell for um, the incredible layout in his basement. He had the jar of M&M's sitting right there. Um, it made me want M&M's for the entire draft. So um, well played there, Roger. And then last thing, uh, shout out to Goodell for like slowly but surely getting more and more comfortable throughout the draft. I think the memes are going to live in infamy, but it's, you know, first round he's in a suit. By the end of the first round, he's in a sweater. By the sixth round, he's sitting on his lounger in a T-shirt. So um, honestly, though, all jokes aside, I, I think the NFL and, and all the networks involved did a great job with that draft. I, I expected it to go <laughs> off with um, a lot of technical difficulties, and it, it seemed to go off without a hitch. There were a couple small things, but all in all, I think they exceeded all expectations. It went fairly smoothly. Uh, they still were able to really um, feature all, all of uh, the families in their homes and things like that and show that emotion. So it was great. It actually was the most watched draft of all time, so I think we're all just itching for sports to be back. Um, but yeah, it got me excited, man. We're, we're there. We're, we're almost there. We at least 
know where everyone's gonna be. We can start really looking at our teams and looking at depth charts and looking at rankings. And before you know it, it's gonna be training camp time. So that's all I got for today. I'm just hyped up. I can smell it. I can't quite taste it yet, but I can definitely taste those M&Ms in Goodell's basement. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, uh, guys, thank you all so much for watching. Like, subscribe, follow us everywhere, and we'll see you next time.